Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you all. They say necessity is the mother of invention, and I know for sewing room storage, this is true. Quilters are always on the lookout for new and effective ways to store their tools. We have a lot of supplies to make the beautiful quilts that we do, but that also means we have to find ways to store all these items. And many sewing tools are really the oddest shapes and sizes, which means they're not always the easiest to store. So I asked our staff members to share some of their out-of-the-box ideas for storing their supplies. And as a bonus, I told them to make their suggestions low cost because who wants to spend their hard-earned money on storage when you can use it to buy more fabric, right? (laughs) The first idea I'm going to share is from my own sewing room. I like to use shallow serving trays to organize small items on my workstation. So the trays that I own are 11 by 15 inches and the sides are two inches tall and they have small handles on both ends. Uh, You can usually find trays like this for around 10 to $20 at a home store. And you can also get them in square or even skinnier sizes and a lot of different colors so that you can fit it to your needs. I have one tray on my sewing table and then within the tray I have um, my magnetic bowl of pins, a few stash and store silicone organizers that I use to hold my marking tools, seam rippers, small scissors, and uh, other skinny tools. And then I have a small handmade fabric bowl I made to corral the small things like packs of needles, thimbles, wonder clips, and other small items. And then I also store my starch sprays on the tray too. So what I love about this is I can keep all of my most used tools right next to my machine so I'm ready to grab things when I need them. But because it's all corralled in this tray that has handles, it's really easy for me to move this from my table to the floor if I need the extra space, or I can easily carry it to maybe the dining room or a living room if I'm working on a handwork project somewhere else in my home. And then I also use one of these trays to hold my smallest pre-cuts on top of a bookshelf that I use to store fabric. So the tray holds all of my layer cakes, charm packs, and mini charm packs, and some panel prints so that they're easy to find when I'm looking for them and I don't get them mixed up with all my other fabric. So the next creative storage idea comes from Allison. And I love it because it involves repurposing items you probably already have in your home. So she likes to store her smallest loose tools like flathead pins, basting pins, wonder clips, um, and packs of needles and small clear glass jars or vintage tins that she found while thrift shopping. Um, Some of the examples of tins are like small candy containers or typewriter ribbon containers, if you can picture those. And because she's storing these items in these little fun storage uh, containers, they look really stylish when they're displayed in your sewing room 
and then also do the hard work of keeping those small items together and just easy to grab and take to your sewing station or even to a retreat. The next few ideas are from Elizabeth and they both come from the office supply store. She loves using Velcro cord wraps, which you can buy in bulk, to keep her cords organized throughout her room, like her iron, uh, her iron cord, the sewing machine cord, her foot pedal if she's uh, needing to take it to go on a retreat. And because they're Velcro, Velcro, they're reusable and won't fall off the cord when you unwrap it, which is a bonus. And then she also uses these Velcro wraps to keep her binding wrapped and neat until she's ready to sew it onto her quilt, which is a great use if you like to procrastinate on your binding and you're storing it for a long time, like some people. <laughs> I'm not naming names. Um, and Elizabeth also uses 3M command hooks to hold her rulers on the side of a bookshelf in her space. She prefers the hooks with the skinny metal hangers because they fit most hanging holes on your rulers or acrylic templates. And she likes hanging her rulers on the side of a bookshelf because it's a creative way to get those items off your workspace, but keep them close at hand. Um, so Joanna had a really creative idea using a hanging spice rack. So she recently came across two hanging spice racks at a thrift store and freshened them for her space. So first she spray painted the racks to match her sewing space and cover up any imperfections. And one of the racks actually had a small tile inset at the top, which was cracked. So she actually took that tile out traced the shape onto a piece of cork board and then hot glued it in the inset to make a little place to keep pins and hang inspiration or patterns if she needed to. The shelves of the spice rack um, in her space hold spools of thread and also jars to hold some of her most used items like rotary cutters, wonder clips, and other things. And Joanna specifically uh, likes to clean out her used candle jars and repurpose them on her spice racks. Um, but you could also use mason jars or other small containers. So I really loved how she transformed this thrift store find into a really handy and stylish storage thing in her room. Okay, speaking of small containers, I have another idea from Beth. So Beth uses Trident Vibes gum, plastic containers that that gum comes in, to hold small items like buttons and basting pins. And she also uses one to hold supplies for on-the-go sewing like binding so that she can bring her little kit of thread, snips, needle, and wonder clips along with her whenever she's sewing her binding on. So Beth removes the label on the gum containers um, when her family is done with the gum. So the container is clear and um, the top flips up so you have easy access when you need to. And the brand of gum, um, all the different flavors have different color lids. So you can actually collect a rainbow of colors, which looks really neat. Um, and if you want to do a little extra work in your sewing space, uh, Beth suggests sewing small curtains to hide any messy areas in your room, such as under tables or on bookshelves. And then she likes to use an adjustable tension rod to hang the curtain 
wherever it's needed to hide the mess, but it also adds that fun pop of color to your space. I am all for hiding mess. Um, there's just some, some quilting supplies that are hard to store, like batting is one in my room that I just have sitting under tables and sitting places. And if I could just make a curtain to hide that, that would be great. <laughs> uh, and our last creative storage ideas come from Jody. And she actually has five interesting ways that she stores her rulers and templates in her space. Um, we know our listeners have mentioned that they struggle with how to store those awkward templates and rulers. So Jody went all out on her affordable storage suggestions for us. So the first is a magazine holder, which are usually made to fit a standard bookshelf. And those can hold smaller rulers and templates upright and out of the way. The second is a small wire basket which can look really great sitting on a shelf or even hanging from a pegboard or a hook on the wall. The third is a small silicone holder. Uh, many times they're called grip grass at the office supply store. And it's originally meant to hold your writing utensils upright on your desk, but can also fit your small and most used rulers and templates right on your workstation. The fourth idea is a great one for those specialty rulers that you may not use very often. So Jody suggests keeping the ruler and instructions in a pocket folder, which you can find really cheap around back to school season. And you can fit two specialty rulers, one in each pocket, and then place the folder in a file cabinet or even on a shelf out of the way. And the fifth idea is to use small zippered pouches to hold small rulers that all do a similar function. For instance, if you have a few sets of block lock rulers to trim all different sizes of flying geese, you could store them all in one zippered pouch. Or maybe you have a set of Marty Michelle templates to make a stormat C block. All those templates could be kept together in a small pouch. Phew! That was a lot of great ideas, um, and our staff actually did a little video sharing our ideas. So if you're having trouble picturing any of these, you can watch the video, which we will link to in our show notes. And we'd love to hear your creative storage ideas, so feel free to email them to me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. And if we get some good ones, we can do a follow-up with more listener ideas. So we're so excited to share all these tips because this week's Sweet Quilty Home Challenge is to get creative with your storage. For those who don't know, our Sweet Quilty Home Challenge is lasting 10 weeks this summer. It ends on September 12th. And each week we issue a challenge on our podcast and social media, just one small step you can take throughout the week to make your space more beautiful and functional. And of course, if you participate, use the hashtag SweetQuiltyHome on Instagram. And you can also visit our show notes for a link to the Sweet Quilty Home page on our website where we list details of each week's challenge and a lot of helpful content and videos. And all the podcast episodes during these 10 weeks are coordinating with the challenges, so keep listening in. We're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. When we come back, we're chatting with quilt designer, jewelry maker, and fabric designer, Julie Letvin. Welcome back. 
I'm now handing the mic over to Elizabeth Stumbo, our Art Director of American Patchwork and Quilting, for her chat with the talented Julie Lutvin of Me and My Stitches. Julie is known for her beautiful paper-pieced jewelry, but in the last decade has expanded her offerings to other products, as well as fabric design and pattern design. So enjoy their talk. Well, welcome to the podcast, Julie. I am just so thrilled to have you as a guest today and just excited to be chatting with you today about your passion for quilting and also about how that passion then evolved into your business, Me and My Stitches. Great. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it'll be good. So why don't we just start right at the beginning and have you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell a little bit about yourself and maybe how you were first introduced to quilting. Sure. Well, I've lived in Iowa my whole life um, and really in the same area for my whole life. Um, I used to work in accounting and then in HR and um, I quit that several years ago. So I started quilting. Well, my mom always says that she tried to get me to sew in 4-H when I was young and I wanted no part of it. <sighs> so she kind of laughs that I do what I'm doing now. Does mother oh, always but... know best, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, I grew up with uh, my first quilting or sewing project was 4-H too. I think that's a, a good gateway for a lot of us uh, future quilters. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably true. And, but I didn't do anything with it forever. My mom used to sew a lot, but, um, my husband and I got married in 1994 and a couple of years after that, he kept asking me if I wanted a sewing machine for Christmas. And my answer was no, <laughs> I don't have any reason for a sewing machine, but I knew knowing how he is, I knew that that's what I would get for Christmas. And sure enough, that's what I got. And I didn't touch it. He made, um, he messed around with it and made little socks for the dog. Oh my gosh, (laughs) buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Just to use it, you know, and then it sat in the closet for a couple of years. And finally, um, some ladies at my church kept Um, asking me to come and quilt with them. And of course, you know, I don't know how. And they said, well, do you have a sewing machine? Well, yes, but I don't know how to use it. Well, we'll teach you. (laughs) So that's how it all started. And believe it or not, the first quilt that they had me make was a king size log cabin. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I guess, you know, when you're you're dumb, you don't know any better that that's probably not a great first project, but it's, that's how they had me start. And I just think it's funny that I started off making king size and now I make little itty bitty things. Right. What a journey you've been on. (laughs) And, and thank goodness that your husband didn't listen to you and went ahead and bought (laughs) you that sewing machine all those years ago. Exactly. That's what I always say. And and I really do mean that I, you know, I wonder what I would be doing now if he had actually listened to me. <laughs> Good thing he didn't. <laughs> That's great. That's right. I love that story. Um, it's always fun to hear everyone's origin story about where they, where they got started. Um, so when did you know it was more than just a hobby for you? When did it become something you wanted to pursue as a career? Well, when I, after I started making the jewelry, um, you know, it's 
little teeny tiny. And I guess kind of funny story on how that started is my mom was here. And over the years, I'd been quilting for probably for almost 10 years. And my piecing was became smaller and smaller and I made smaller blocks. And um, one day my mom said, how small do you think you can make a block? Well, I don't know. So I printed off a two inch uh, pineapple block, paper, you know, a paper piece pineapple block and made that. And she owns a stained glass business. And so she took it home and turned it into a pin. And so that's how we got started. And um, I, she, at first she did all of the soldering because they're encased in glass and then soldered. And then of course turned into pendants and pins and uh, scissor fobs and earrings and lots of little things. So she did all of the soldering and it kind of quickly became a little more than what she wanted to do. So then my husband took over and he does the soldering now. And that was in 2009 when I first made the jewelry. And then two years later, I did uh, quit my full-time job and started doing this full-time, thankfully. So it's been 10 years since I've quit that job. It's crazy to think it's been that long. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so you described the process a little bit about it. So it's their miniature uh, quilt blocks that you mostly paper piece. And then you said they're encased in glass and soldered around the edges. Um, so for those people that might not be as familiar with this, like what is the largest, what's the smallest sizes that you make? Well, when we, when I first started, I did that two inch block and we, um, then I did some one and a half inch. And so those were the sizes in the beginning. And then the, it's funny because the two inch in the beginning seemed so tiny and now we don't even make those anymore because they just seem huge. So keep getting smaller and smaller. (laughs) Exactly. But now we also make little three quarter inch earrings. And so I always tell everyone that it's not going to get any smaller than that. Three quarters of an inch is it. So that's the smallest. And then we do some things that are one inch. I make needle minders and scissor fobs. We have one and a quarter inch. And then we have some that are triangles and hexagons. And we also do an annual Christmas ornament and those are one and three fourths inches. So they're a little bit bigger so you can see them on your tree. Yeah, those are so pretty. I, I think when I first saw your jewelry pieces in person, I just, I was blown away with how perfect and precise they are. Um, do you have any tips for any of our listeners that might also be interested in working with tiny, tiny little pieces? Do you have any tips for them to share? Well, I don't have a lot of secrets. There's nothing special that I do. Of course, paper piecing is, in my opinion, uh, that's what paper piecing is good for is the little bitty stuff. Um, so, and I've tried, someone told me once that the, the Microtex needles, the real fine needles would make a huge difference. And for me, it really doesn't, but um I also don't remove the paper from the back of the piece. So I don't really have to worry about that perforation or anything like that. Um, Thread makes a little bit of difference. It makes them a little thinner, Um, but as it, it, I've used up all my old thread and it really doesn't matter. I think the biggest thing that's 
important to me is my sewing machine, um, the presser foot goes up and down automatically when you uh, hit the hit the foot pedal. So I just think if I had to raise and lower a presser foot or use um, a knee lift, that would make me crazy because a lot of times I'm only taking three or four stitches, you know, so I would be raising that presser foot hundreds of times a day. So that's the big, big thing for me. But other than that, there's really just no secrets. I just try to sew on the line. Yeah, just sew on the line, right? As easy as that. <laughs> oh man, I've done some um, foundation paper piecing projects, but mine have all been uh, normal, big size blocks. For I've never tried like the micro micro blocks, but yeah, so fascinating. So, um, in addition to your jewelry and your quilt pattern business, you can now add fabric designer to your resume. So. Congratulations on your first fabric collection, um, Homestead Harvest with Robert Kaufman. Um, Just kind of curious about how that all came to be and and what inspired the collection um, and how did you name it Homestead Harvest? Sure. Well, um, Robert Kaufman was looking for, they have um, one designer, Jill Shawless, who uh, works with Civil War Fabric and it's kind of not their normal thing, but they wanted to get into that a little bit and they were looking for another designer and they contacted me. So of course I was excited and happy to happy to be a part of it. Um, and my, my first line, it's named Homestead Harvest because it honors my dad and our family farm, my parents, both my parents and my brother farms the, the farm now. So it's all about the farm and things that remind me of my dad. The names of the patterns kind of coincide with all that. One of them is corn and beans, and that's what is grown on our farm. Um, And then the designs themselves for the fabric, my husband and I bought some antique quilt blocks several years ago at an auction, and I always loved the the little prints and also the colors of them. So I was excited to be able to reproduce some of those. So that's where the first line came from. And I am currently working on the second one. So I'm super excited about that too. That's very exciting. Is it also going to be Civil War reproductions? Yes. Okay. That's kind of your your niche. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. that is definitely what I what I tend to use pretty much all the time is mm-hmm. Civil War reproductions. I love that story about um, where the inspiration came from for the collection and how that's such a great way for you to honor the memory of your father and also embrace your family history. So um, yeah. the photos from your collection are just beautiful and you photograph those all at the family farm, I believe. Yeah, that. That is correct. Um, one of them was taken at a park in Burlington, Iowa, and that is because um, the quilt is called Sarah's Cabin, and Sarah and her husband came here, I think it was 1834. Now I'd have to look at my notes. Mm-hmm. And um, the cabin that they built, there are some parts of that cabin in a log cabin in a park in Burlington. So we took the pictures on with the Sarah's cabin quilt on that cabin. Oh, so we thought that was kind of cool, but yeah, the rest kind of, of them full circle. 
Yeah. So, but the rest of them were taken on our family farm. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see your, your second line. I'm sure it's going to be equally as beautiful. I'm excited about it. I'm designing those quilts right now. And um, I'm actually, I'm sewing, going to be sewing like a crazy person for the next couple of weeks. (laughs) Sounds like you're busy. (laughs) Hey, it's Lindsay. I hate to interrupt, but we need to take a quick ad break. We'll be back soon with more from Julie. So speaking of sewing, um, what, what does a typical day look like for you and your business? If, if you even have a typical day, do you find time to quilt every day? Well, I normally in, in some form or another, I usually, I'm always up before seven and of course, coffee comes first. Of course. And so I <laughs> get my coffee and sit down at my computer and just kind of see what's come in that I haven't dealt with from the day before. So if there's any orders or emails or whatever, and I kind of just start by doing that. And then in a lot of times, one thing leads to another and I start working and pretty soon it's 11 o'clock and I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I, we all should quilt in our pajamas all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's great. I love my job. Yeah. But yeah. so I try to make myself, you know, stop and get the shower taken and then start my day. But it does seem like one thing always leads to another. But I, um, it kind of depends um, what all's going on. I generally am making jewelry uh, pretty much all of the time you know, we have that, we have it on our website. And then I also vend at some shows. So um, I try to keep some inventory built up. And then just depending on what's going on, like I said, now today, well, for the next few weeks, I'll be sewing like crazy on my new designs. um, So I can get those turned into Robert Kaufman. And the fabric will show at market in October. So great. Yeah. You got some deadlines coming up then. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So that's, that's pretty much my day. I mean, that's what I do all day. And I do like to do handwork in the evening. If I have time, I love to um, hand quilt, which I don't have a lot of time for, but I like to also do wool applique and I cross stitch. So try to get some of that in as often as I can. Mm-hmm. Do you find that your evenings are more of your time for me sewing? Like your personal sewing projects are more for the evening hours? Um, it depends on, it just depends on what's going on. I try to, I do try to um, at least do handwork in the evenings, but honestly, I haven't now for uh, probably four months, I've really been working most of the time just because it's just been busy. And we were fortunate enough to be able to vend at a few shows this year, which, you know, we haven't done for a while. So it's always really, really busy trying to get everything made for those because it's just, just the two of us and my husband has a full-time job. So (laughs) besides working and soldering my jewelry and making ruler boxes. So So it's busy. Yeah, it sounds very busy for you guys. That's great, though. Um, so you also started a couple of subscription club programs in the last year, um, in addition to your jewelry and your ruler boxes, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, mm-hmm. Can you maybe share a little bit about those and about the subscription clubs you started? 
Sure. Um, actually, the first program that we ever did was in 2012. Um, we made little three-quarter inch charms. And the first year we did them, you would put them on a bracelet. So it was a charm bracelet and each charm would be different. And then the they're kind of like a block of the month, only I'm making your block for you. You're doing um, all the work. Yeah. But then I also did supply a six inch paper piecing pattern of that, you know, whatever the charm was, if it was a flower, then they got the flower paper piecing pattern. So then they could make a quilt to go along with it. So we did, we did that for probably five years or so. And then we also had one called celebrate which was kind of the same idea, only we did, each time was a different uh, pendant for the season, you know, whether it be uh, a pumpkin or a flower or, you know, whatever. And then holidays also, flags, hearts, whatever. Mm -hmm. So those were the, the early on ones. And then in 2016, I started a program called Surprise, and it was just that. Um, you didn't know what you were going to get. And my mom thought that idea was crazy because who wants to pay for something that they have no idea what they're getting, but, <laughs> but it worked. And we always try to include um, a piece of jewelry of some sort, um, a ruler box, and then whatever else um, I come up with. And it's always just things that I use and that I love um, so it has gone over really well, but we haven't done it for a little while. I'm hoping to do it again next year. And then, um, we have a new one from this year that's called ruler box woolies. And that is a collaboration between myself and Jill Shawless from yellow Creek quilt designs. And in that one, you get a five inch wooden ruler box that my husband makes, and then you get a pattern and a kit for a little wool applique mat that fits inside the box. Mm, so cute. yeah, that one's new. And then also this year we have um, a collaboration between me and Kathy from Hands-On Designs and she is a cross-stitcher and makes such adorable cross-stitch charts. So we added cross-stitch to the to the box and they get a needle minder that I make and a chart that she does and lots of other little goodies in between. Yeah, those sound like great collaborations. I love when designers can all come together and help each other out. Yeah, it's really fun. And the cross stitch, um, I used to cross stitch years and years ago and haven't for a long time, but I picked it back up a couple of years ago because, you know, I felt like I had all that spare time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, so this is fun because it's, it is something that's a little bit different and um, Kathy just has great design. So it's just really been fun. And she incorporates my fabric line into her finishing of whatever the project is. So that makes it fun too. That, yeah, that sounds like a great collaboration. I love it. I can't wait to look that up myself. Are those all available on your um, website for me and my stitches? Um. Well, there the program that program is full, but if you're interested, always sign up for our newsletter because that's where I um, get things out there. So anything when we have new programs, that's the first to know will be the people that subscribe to the newsletter. So 
Oh, good. Hot tip right there <laughs> for all of our listeners. Subscribe to the newsletter. <laughs> awesome. Well, to wrap things up a little bit, we always like to end with what we like to call our rapid fire questions. So um, whatever first pops into your head after I ask these questions is perfect. So um, let's start off with what is your favorite quilt block? Oh my goodness. Well, I still love Log Cabin. That was my first quilt. I love it, but I love Churn Dash and Nine Patch and Stars and everything. I can't pick one. I can't love pick one. I love it. Okay, great. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite tool for foundation paper piecing? Just my sewing machine. Sewing machine. Got it. Got to have that, right? <laughs> yep. That's the only, that's my biggest thing. Yep. <laughs> what is your most popular piece that you design and sell? Um, the scrappy pineapple um, and also scrappy log cabin are probably the most popular and then anything and everything that's patriotic. Okay. Yep. People love patriotic. And I mean, you can't go wrong with the pineapple blocks, especially mm -hmm. scrappy ones. So I could, I get yes. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about this, but what's a current project you are working on right mm -hmm. now? Definitely. Um, five, I've got five new quilts that I'm designing for my next fabric line. Okay. And last question. What do you love most about being a small business owner in the quilting community? I think just that I've just met so many people and made really great, great friends. So um, it was really scary when I quit that full-time job but I'm so thankful that it's worked out and just that I'm able to do what I love every day. Yeah. Sounds that's like the best of both worlds right there. <laughs> it is. I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation and getting to know a little bit more about you and your businesses and look forward to seeing your next fabric line. That's very exciting. Me too. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks. And where can people find you online? You can find our website. It's called me and my stitches. And the web address is me and my stitches.com. Okay. Make it easy. I love it. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just loved that interview. I love hearing how Julie's talents had opened up a world of opportunities for her in the quilting world. It's just so inspiring. Julie is also featured in the August issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, so if you don't already have the magazine, pick it up to read more from her and see some beautiful photos of her work. We'll link to Julie's website and social media in our show notes so that you can connect with her more. And that's it for today's show. Before we leave today, I need your help. Next month, we're doing a podcast episode on unpopular quilty opinions. So if you want to share your unpopular opinion with me and have it featured on the show, email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com, and we'll link to that email in our show notes to make it easy. I can't wait to hear from all of our listeners on this topic, and we'll chat with you next week.